Today I'm going to read the scripture, Mark 1, 29 to 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. He, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In our gospel lesson that Melissa read to us today, we have a story about Jesus and a mother-in-law. Before we begin, I have some thoughts about mother, mother's-in-law. The best mother-in-law I knew was the mother-in-law of my friend, Yvonne, Yvonne Tipton. And this is a true story, by the way. When Yvonne was getting married to an only child and son of her mother-in-law, um, here is the mother-in-law said to Yvonne, here is how we're going to be a family. You will invite us, dad and me, to come to visit you and we will happily accept the invitation, and we will stay only three nights each time. When I visit, I will agree with you on everything you say. I will not give you any advice. Your husband, my son, will be so happy because you and I will get along beautifully. And she said, you will be the best host and daughter-in-law because you'll agree with me in everything and I'll agree with you in everything. So she said, when we invite you and Doug to come for a visit, no matter how long the invitation is, you will stay only three nights, and then you'll agree with me in everything I say, and you'll not correct me in anything. We will be, we will be getting along beautifully, and your husband and my husband will be very happy. So she said, she went on to say to Yvonne, when you have children, I have the right to spoil my grandchildren, whether at your home or my home, and you say nothing to me. <laughs> so they, the two were very much get along, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Yvonne said she had the best mother-in-law on the whole earth. 
happy mother-in-law, happy father-in-law, happy husband, happy Yvonne. So then, uh, how many of you are a mother-in-law, by the way? Raise your hand. See, there are few of us. How many of you used to have a mother-in-law? Yep, I used to have one too. And so, how many of you used to be a mother-in-law? I am a mother-in-law myself. And um, in general, I like to think mothers-in-law are wise women or ladies. So the first sick person Jesus ever healed in the gospel according to Mark, which also is believed to be the original gospel, was a woman, not just a woman, a mother-in-law of Simon's, Simon, a mother-in-law of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because when Jesus healed her from fever and sickness, she did not just say, thank you, Jesus. Instead, she got up and served Jesus and his disciples. It is assumed by many scholars that she got up, cooked a meal, and served them. I can only imagine the joy Jesus and his disciples felt as they enjoyed the food Peter, Simon's mother-in-law had served them. Her gratitude was not only in words but in action. I admire her for that. How fortunate for me that I get to preach on Simon's mother-in-law on this passage today. Anything that has to do with cooking, serving, food make my heart sing. Many of you already know that. It is my love language, you see. Last Sunday evening, I got to host some of my husband Will's childhood friends. They're all children of missionaries a long time ago. All of them grew up together attending Woodstock School in northern India. Some of our dinner guests had not seen each other for over 55 years. They had a mini reunion in our home. I had the fun of cooking dinner, a simple Indian dinner for them. It was full of spices, heat, and taste. The dinner ended with very sweet Indian desserts. I was privileged to witness their joy while eating familiar foods from their childhood, telling stories of their childhood and their growing up years hearing them talk about their parents, their siblings, their teachers, their friends, and their cooks and food and sports and hills and mischievous actions they had done. Today, those of us are gathered here in this place, we are going to be fed with a holy meal right here as we see on the communion by Jesus, our Lord and Savior like mother-in-law of Simon served Jesus and his disciples, I get to serve you this holy feast, along with Carrie and Lee and whoever else is going to join us in serving. Mark, the writer of the gospel, according to Mark, uh, was not highly educated, but he was actually, he, he, he was the gospel writer with a burning heart to share the good news of Jesus Christ. His Greek was rustic and his audience were pe peasants, uh, people who are peasants. Mark is in a hurry to tell the good news of the gospel as he knew it, 
The whole gospel is only 16 chapters. He skipped what he thinks is not necessary. That is the whole nativity story. Mark does not have a Christmas story. There is no Mary, no Joseph, no baby Jesus being born in a manger, no angels, no shepherds, nor the three wise men or a star. None of that is in the gospel according to Mark. Instead, Mark begins his gospel with John the Baptist's ministry in the wilderness, the grown-up Jesus baptized by John in the river Jordan. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he prayed and fasted. After the temptation for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus went to Galilee calling his first disciples. Simon and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, all fishermen. Jesus went on to Capernaum teaching in the synagogue. Jesus drove an unclean spirit out, out of a person in the synagogue. Speaking of being in a hurry, the gospel writer Mark managed to say all of that in the first 28 verses of the first chapter of the gospel. He uses the Greek word euthas repeatedly in his 16 um, chapters of the gospel. It normally gets translated as immediately. Mark used the word immediately in his 16 chapters gospel 41 times. So he was always in a hurry. So no wonder it's my favorite gospel. I am also always in a hurry. My, one time my senior pastor, my first senior pastor ever as a pastor said to me, Mingi, you're like a hummingbird. Even if you have nowhere to go, you flap your wings all the time. Well, there we go. There is an implication in the deep meaning of the word immediately it tells us that what happens is by God's power, not human initiative. It is a divine power breaking out into the world with immediate and changing effects, such as when Jesus called those two sets of brothers, they followed him immediately. By the Jewish law, Jesus should not have touched Simon's mother-in-law. He should not have healed her on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Mark has chosen to use the Greek verb here, egero. It also means more than giving someone help to stand up. According to in-depth Bible language dictionary, it means to wake up, to rise up, and to raise somebody up, or to raise the dead. The word egero is also used in different parts of the gospel to say someone was being raised from the dead. Mark uses this Greek word, egero, indicates that this healing of Simon's mother-in-law is God at work in Jesus' action. I hear this again. Jesus using the word egero means that this is God's action healing Simon's mother-in-law through the words of Jesus. According to New Testament professor Herman Virgin, Simon's mother-in-law's service implies more than the preparation of a meal. 
Her serving brings eternal, well, let me start again. Simon's mother-in-law's service means bringing serenity, joy, comfort, well-being, and communion to Jesus and his disciples. As Jesus felt free to heal her on the Sabbath, Simon's mother-in-law felt free from Sabbath restrictions on her. She wasn't supposed to be cooking on Sabbath either because that's considered work. She has gone from being sick with fever to serving Jesus and his disciples, bringing them serenity, joy, comfort, well-being, and communion. She gets involved in the way she knows best. Immediately, she addresses the needs of Jesus and the disciples. She serves them at the table. Again, bringing them serenity, joy, comfort, well-being, and communion. In the gospel according to Mark, the inclusion of women by Jesus' ministry is not incidental. Women are highly visible and significant from Jesus' first healing miracle of Simon's mother-in-law to women sent as the first witnesses to his resurrection. Women were a part of Jesus' ministry from the beginning to the end, would be describing it in short. Simon's mother-in-law is a model for all of us, women and men alike. All of us are called to respond to God immediately with joy and active service. All of us are called to respond to God immediately with joy and joyful active service. Thanks be to God. Amen.